thank you for joining us on Love That Voiceover, where we explore the people and projects behind the microphone in depth. Hey, all you chic geeks, I'm Rebecca, and I am here with a fantastic man, also known as Juan Carlos Bagnell. Okay, we're back. Tell us where we left off. You know, like, it's, it's really in the people that you meet at a talent agency because you're just sort of inundated and especially at a place like Abrams, which for voiceover is one of the, is a premier talent agency. I still consider them to be one of the top. Yeah. And uh, you you just end up like, there are so many stories. Like uh, I spent a a half hour on a commercial audition with Zoe Deschanel. I love her. And and she's phenomenal. She is fantastic. I, I, I love the new girl and I'm so happy to see her you know, on all of these different properties. Me She's too. such an indie sweetheart that to have her crossover with this commercial success is fantastic. But, you know, she was in for a Coca-Cola audition. And I think we spent 15 minutes talking about how cool it would be to own pet robots. You know, like <laughs> she is so genuine, like she's so sweet and it's so much fun to work with. And then to the same token at the uh, at the other end, you're 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 constantly encountering all these incredible commercial and animation actors. I mean, I was really spoiled. I got to work with a, a tier of talent um, far above, I think, what most people are are sort of you know, what most people encounter when they begin their craft. Well, let's let's a, hang on to that. Can you define that tier of town? What aspects of it that you saw that you were able to recognize could you share with us right now? Immediately, it's the confidence. I mean, when you're working with people that are booking on a regular basis that uh, already have established careers, that have established reputations, mm-hmm. um, th- that I think is the most striking because I wasn't prepared for you know, the beginners of our craft who don't have that confidence. And so there was a frustrating transition when I left Abrams in trying to, you know, sort of hold people's hands for a while. I wasn't used to that. No, you didn't have to do it before. You hadn't had exactly. to do it. No. And and I think I was a little rough on some people when, when I got out of Abrams and started working with sort Can of... Can you describe wh- the confidence a little bit more? Can you give some examples? Like, what does that look like on Zoe Deschanel, on Richard Dreyfus? Is it the joy? Is it the spirit they come in with? What do you what can what else can you do to describe the confidence? You know, the biggie is that they know what they they know what they do. You know, I, I think in our in our eagerness to please, we've created a class of voice actors who who are so eager to please that they can do anything. You know, you just gotta tell them. Tell them what you want. Tell what what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? And and I'll do it. And that, I think, ends up actually working against a lot of actors. Um, uh, you know, you take someone Meaning like... Meaning they can play anything, they think they can, but they really can't because a Zoe Deschanel is going to be different than a Richard Drivers. Not not only in the male-female, but in terms of that personality, if they could both be male or both be female. Is that what you mean? You know, it, it, I mean, uh, to, to boil it down, uh, yes and no. <laughs> uh, you, you look at someone like, like Zoe Deschanel. And Zoe Deschanel, and and I mean this in the best possible way, but Zoe Deschanel was never trained to be a voice actress. So she doesn't know how to be a voice actress. She knows how to be Zoe Deschanel. And so she walks in and she delivers a performance that she's thought about and that she's considered from the material. And there's no questioning what she's there to do. And so you, you know, that that's what I mean. It's like she doesn't know that she should she, that she shouldn't be confident in this regard because she's an established performer, right? And 
that's what you start. That's what I feel. You know, you start you start missing out or you start losing with uh, voice actors who have been trained to be voice actors and haven't don't know anything else but voice acting. Um, that they start doing this, I can do anything. And I really do feel that there's a place for every voice. I've worked with some, you know, some really interesting people and some really interesting voices. Um, but I think we train voice actors to, to lose a sense of who they are or a sense of self in this mad, ra- mad rush to fulfill all roles. And I don't, I don't believe there is a magic read. I don't believe that you know, if you if you could just say, you know, the words on this piece of copy in just the right way, that that's what's going to guarantee you the booking. I think it's more about attitude and I think it's more about personality. And if you're the attitude and personality for the job, then that's why you book that job. And so, so that's why. You, mm-hmm. Go ahead. Go ahead. Finish. Oh, no, I was I was just going to wrap up with and I, I, I think that's why we're seeing so many celebrities and voiceover now because it's, it's much easier to walk into a room and say Robert Downey Jr., than it is to walk into a room and say, well, we're looking for sort of a snarky attitude who's very forward thinking and modern and progressive and someone who's going to appeal to a certain demographic where we're looking at high technology and cars and they're sort of irreverent. You know, I could walk into a room full of suits and say all that, or I could walk into a room and say, Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> but it's, it's, I, I think it's much easier to, to feel like your message, your advertising message is being taken care of when you've got someone like a Robert Downey Jr. walking in and he's a clear personality. You get to sort of piggyback on his reputation, on his cred. Sure. And uh, you're, you're confident that he's going to go in there with, with uh, you know, his vibe. You know, you don't have to worry about creating that part. You can focus on the rest of the commercial. Well, this will be an interesting part of our conversation. Um, but I don't want to forget about your history because you did leave Abrams and you went to the voice caster directly. Is that right? You know, I... I I um <laughs> I left Abrams right before the writer's strike hit. So my timing was pretty horrible in mm. leaving a steady job. And uh, <laughs> I did a little freelance work, uh some radio production. Uh I I worked on a couple like friend films as like a location sound mixer. And uh once I had had a sort of my fill of wandering, um I gave Huck at the voice caster a call because uh, I had done you know, he he had uh, he had done some casting with Abrams, and you know, I, I liked working with him. Right. And uh, I went over there, and I sort of did a guest direct on a. They have a voiceover and go service, so if you want to knock out your auditions instead of using your home studio, you can go to the Voicecaster. Ah. Okay. So I knocked out a couple auditions there. He seemed to like my vibe, and I've been doing pickup sessions with them ever since, and that was almost four years ago. Okay. Can you give us any insights to who the voice caster is in relation to L.A. and a little bit about the other um, players in the L.A. market? Yeah, of course. Um, You know, the uh, well, first off, realistically, in this day and age, uh, sort of legit location casting um, for voiceover is 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 sort of on the downswing. Mm. Uh, You know, web casting has gotten so prolific that uh, there aren't a lot of players for commercial casting in this arena anymore but um, meaning that they don't go to the companies like the voice ca- what what does that mean exactly well everybody's you know, using the web and online services pay to plays at my at my level of the game you don't see a lot of producers using like voices.com or voices123 most producers are using voice bank that's become the sort of premier service for web-based casting 
um, because there's still a sense of relationship. There's still an idea that, you know, they want to, they want to go directly to talent agents. And so that it's on the talent agents to sort of coordinate the auditions, get the talent, you know, uh, set up. And, uh, you know, that, that's sort of the way the relationship happens. Right. Um, th there's typically not the, the desire to go sifting through raw auditions. So for most of the jobs that, that I see, you know, you, you won't see them on a voices.com. Right. Uh, that, that being said, um, I think there's, there's still a sense of, um, there's still a sense of, of how much is my time worth to me? So for some jobs, it's appropriate to put it up on voice bank and get 500, 1,000 auditions and to spend a little time sifting through that. And then there are some times where it's really more cost effective to hire someone to, to record their top 30 and then to base your casting off of that. And that's where you still see a little traffic for, um, you know, these, these casting companies like uh, the voice caster. Uh, Kalmanson and Kalmanson, uh, Elaine Craig, I think Terry Berland is still doing some casting, uh, for VO. And, uh, so I've seen it's her not do like, postings, so I would assume so right, too. Right, right, right. So uh, it's not like the, uh, the gravy days of making it rain, but, uh, you still see traffic just based on the, the momentum of those older relationships with people that, that's, that take a different approach to how valuable their time is. Um, for the few times that I've had to produce off of VoiceBank actually haven't been very fun because you just have way more audio than you could ever possibly listen to uh, before you could get that product done. And you end up booking someone that you you know already. So you know, you're looking at a, a list of 500 names and I'm not going to listen to all that. <laughs> right, right. Especially if you know people that you feel can really hit the mark. For the client right. that you have. So can you talk a little bit about the business as you see it from a commercial perspective in um, Los Angeles or from a perspective that you think is broader than that, if you feel you can offer that? Um, what's the status of the industry today in terms of commercial uh, and advertising commercials with voiceover? Wow, that's a that's from a pretty... your perspective, from the perspective that you can see, you know, I mean, and from your personal opinion, you know, because well, the the economy has shifted a lot, right? And so that has just like the writers' strike. Um, you were talking about the one is two thousand, correct? Uh, right. SAG strike. So that affected the business in a huge way. And in fact, what people told me, just as a reflection back to see how the industry can shift in a short period of time, um, what I, I was just entering voiceover professionally at that time, but I was training, mm -hmm. so it was a good time to get training. <laughs> um, oh, I didn't, I didn't leave Abrams around the SAG strike. I left uh, around the 2007-2008 writer's Strike. There we go. There we go. Thank you, because I right, right. I don't have my, my timelines on that. But I'm what I was, not that old. But, but, well, <laughs> who knows? I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> We've corrected that now, everybody. Eight, mean eight years. I need those eight years. <laughs> you got them back. See how fast things change? <laughs> Woo! You feel close. lighter already. Oh, no. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Hold on. I just got to catch my breath. <laughs> but what I was going to say is, you know, um, things really really stalled during the strike back in SAG in 2000. It shifted the industry. Right. People say 
after that in 2005 and after they've said that that particular period of, of the strike shifted from using a lot of union talent to using non-union and opening up the gateways to to oh. really see a different audience. Now, when I would jump to present time, um, recognizing that there was a strike in 2007 and say now we have an economic downturn in the whole world, the whole modern world, um, precipitated in the U.S., Mm-hmm. What And we heard a lot about agencies closing even before then. So agencies have been closing their doors in different cities. Advertising has shifted considerably because of Internet 2.0 or whatever it is now you want to call it. <laughs> you know, multiple disciplines, multiple channels. Um, so what is going on now from your perspective for commercials using voiceover? You know, it's it's a it's a really interesting sort of multifaceted answer. Well, I can't even claim that the answer is going to be interesting. I think it's interesting. But <laughs> um, so so, you know, you're, you're talking about the SAG strike and that, you know, well, it became easier for people to go non-union. And this is true to a point. Um, you know, it, it, it's the danger of a lot of the. Uh, like pay-to-play sites that I see, if, as people are building their careers, they're ending up signing contracts that I don't think they fully understand the ramifications of from a long-term perspective. Mm. Like, it's cool if you want to make a little cash on the side, but that's not really the basis of a career, in my opinion. If you want to drop everything and do nothing but voiceover, um, you really want to be careful, uh, you know, as what you'll sign over. how your voice is used. Especially, like, usage. Usage is something that I really, really wish we could teach more actors about because you start seeing, you know, like, oh, well, yeah, it's a $500 job, but it's a buyout in perpetuity means that they own that audio on you forever and forever is a really long time. Right. Um, so, you know, what, what you're talking about is absolutely accurate. So the, the 2000 strike happens and now what we see today is a constant pressure on the workaday voice actors who aren't celebrities. So we're seeing consistent pressure on the the low end from the non-union side of uh, or or maybe not even the non-union, just what used to be sort of the uh, we'll throw you in the booth for 15 minutes stuff that actors used to make their living. Right, off of. right. So that that's that's kind of gone now. Um, uh, and to the same token, now a lot of the campaign voices at the high end are going with celebrities because they can get them. So that leaves a, a sort of a, a narrower and narrower middle gap of, of uh, opportunity. Like, oh, my God. Kind of like the middle class is getting squeezed. And Absolutely. The middle that class is, of voiceover talent is getting squeezed. Is also getting squeezed. That is that is the perfect way to to sum up what's what's happening in VO right now. Now, that being said, I still think it's in that middle area where you see some of the most exciting growth. Because of things like the web exploding, um, we're seeing a tremendous number of opportunities that all just don't happen to pay as well as commercials used to. So uh, with advertising going online, you know, you're seeing some, some really interesting campaign style work mm-hmm. happening with uh, websites approaching audiences in new ways. So from um, your perspective, let me jump in and ask a real quick question about advertising agencies with what you just said in mind. Are you seeing that advertising agencies are embracing the new technologies and maybe at this point have learned how to embrace it in a fuller way, but being cognizant of their clients' budgets and this vast landscape <laughs> where they could spend money? Right. But knowing right. where to put it to 
probably get some returns now. Because for a well, while there, I, there was so much technology in so many places to go put your message. Right. You could spend a zillion dollars and possibly still not see something come back from that. Well, I think we're still in that position, too. I think a lot of uh, companies are, are throwing a lot of money at this social or viral or whatever we want to call it landscape and not seeing a huge return on their money. But at least now we're seeing them approaching it. You know, uh, embracing might even be too strong a word. OK. But, um, you know, like uh, people not not people at the advertising agencies because they're all pretty hip to it. They're all pretty savvy. But it, their clients are now starting to see that there are these things called the Twitters and the Facebooks and maybe we should be on them. <laughs> and right. so uh so you know, uh, embrace might be too strong for the a, a class of a, a, the client side, the class of people who who are used to getting, you know, uh, solid returns on traditional marketing campaigns and print and TV and radio, but at least they're aware that there are other opportunities for them to get their message across. And so that's why I think we're seeing this push because, you know, let, let's be honest, like, you know, even down to how you pay the actors, there's a cost benefit um, to going online. And, you know, you don't have to pay residuals. You don't have to, to do payouts like that. So are we still every, seeing every, a lot of campaigns, though, in the traditional aspects of 13 weeks, blah, 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 residuals or... You, you know, um, they're just usually worded differently. Like uh, we don't see we don't see commercials with the intent of going class A, but we you know these national spots. Um, but we do see a lot of commercial use. So a commercial might get used all over the United States, even though it's called spot market, and uh, that actor will still make uh, you know a decent a decent amount of money off of that commercial. But because it wasn't rated, you know, uh, class A you know, they don't get the same, the same kind of residual structure that they would have if it was. So I think that's another thing too, with so many channels and so much activity on cable and, you know, you know, the networks still pull the lion's share, but not as much as they used to. Uh, you know, you're just seeing a, a different, a, a different payout for what the actor would have made versus what they make today. Fantastic. Well, that's a great view in on sort of what's happening today. We're going to take another quick little break. Juan, thank you so much. Okay. Hang on with me. Definitely. Breathing is something each of us takes for granted. But for the 200,000 Americans with pulmonary fibrosis, each breath is a gift. Early pulmonary fibrosis is characterized by shortness of breath and a persistent cough that does not respond to treatment. Sadly, 50% of patients are misdiagnosed for a year or longer. If you or a loved one has shortness of breath and a persistent cough that does not respond to treatment, contact a lung specialist and be tested. A public service message from the Pulmonary Fibrosis Foundation and the Coalition for Pulmonary Fibrosis. <laughs> 